0: Are you already drinking this pet nat? God damn it. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's pretty and it's right in front of me. <laughs> Welcome to Two Girls in a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. I'm Anne, and I am living in a Russian winter, metaphorically and maybe physically.
1: And unlike Anne, I'm Drea, and I am cautiously optimistic, which I feel like Russian literature is not.
0: Well, yeah, that's fair. Um, tell us more about what you're
1: optimistic about. What are your cheers and jeers this week, Drea? Let's see. Well, um, my cheers is to my new robot vacuum, who I have not yet named, so I am taking suggestions. I've got to say, though, having a robot vacuum may, in fact, be the pinnacle of adulting. It is literally the best thing I have ever owned. Tell me more. Why is it so great, Miss Jetson? Uh, because I literally took a fucking nap yesterday while it cleaned my house. It was Amazing. Great. It was perfect. And shockingly, the dog doesn't hate it. He was also taking a nap. I'm glad that your pets can get along. Yeah, I try. we try. I mean, he hates the droid. We have one of those little Star Wars droids, and he fucking hates that. But the vacuum, he's like, well, this serves a purpose, I guess. So at least he knows. And what are you
0: jeersing to this week?
1: I am jeersing because despite the joys of a robot vacuum um i don't know what the fuck is going on in the world but whatever fucked up alignment the planets are currently in it needs to stop uh i just feel like things are a little bit topsy-turvy these days i feel like january was the longest month possibly ever um i i just yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know if i want to continue to hibernate or if i want to leave hibernation i don't know what to expect from this fucking groundhog in february like i just don't know what's happening how about you how are you doing (laughs) what are your cheers and jeers this time around I'm good. I'm good. Um,
0: my cheers and jeers are also somewhat winter related, Russian winter related. So my cheers is to library cards on phones. Um, I didn't know this was a thing, but it's awesome. So I was, uh, picking up books from, from the library and kind of running errands and I had like reorganized my wallet or something and so my card wasn't in there and so I needed to take my book instead of going to like the automatic checkout self-checkout machine I had to go up to like the counter to be like hey I am who I say I am can you check this book out for me um and the guy was like oh do you have our app? And I was like, yeah, of course I have the app. Um, and he was like, you can just check the book out there. And I could because my library card was in the app on my phone. Genius. Brilliant. I loved it. Um, so I got a new book of Russian poetry because of that. So it was
1: great. I feel like this is one more way for like librarians to be like, don't fucking bother me. I'm reading.
0: <laughs> I'm into it. Like I don't want to bother them. I only want to ask them questions and pay them compliments. I don't want to come to them with my shenanigans because I forgot my, uh, my library card. Um, in the second part of my, my jeers this week is to cold feet, literal cold feet. Um, we have been having snow here in New York, and it has been really cold outside, but it's also just really cold, and my feet are always cold. Like, the rest of my body is fine, and then this one extremity is like a little icicle that's about to break off, and I just don't understand why that is. And yes, I am wearing socks, before you ask, uh, and otherwise I'm very comfortable, except for my little poor footsies. So I
1: cheers gonna, to them. I- I knew you were were wearing socks. I was going to ask you if you double-socked, if you had fuzzy socks, if you had slippers, or if Hillary was doing her job.
0: (laughs) I have all of those things. Uh And as we all know, the queen's job is not to warm the peasant's foot.
1: (laughs) So there we are. I'm I'm sorry. I forgot. I forgot. It's the peasant's job to warm the queen's foot. (laughs) That's right. That is correct. So...
0: All right, should we get into our shenanigans? I am excited about these shenanigans this episode. So, for this week's shenanigans, we have something very special. If you have a small female child in your life, you may already know about this. Um, or if you are just a person who still appreciates fun in your adulthood, you may know about this. But it is Girl Scout cookie time. Woohoo! Find yourself uh, a little brownie or a junior, uh, or somebody else who's hawking those, those cookies. Um, because we have some recommended wine pairings to share with you. So I am going to, uh, describe one of the popular Girl Scout treats and Drea is going to recommend a wine for you to have with your cookies. So, Drea, first up, we have the Thin Mint. This is a crisp chocolate cookie dipped in a delicious mint chocolate coating. What would you recommend?
1: So, I took this assignment very seriously. I did a ton of research, and um, I also, I hate to admit this, haven't had, like, over half of these cookies. I have my standard three favorites that I get every year and um, I had to definitely do some research. But Thin Mints is one of my favorites. I like to pop those suckers in the freezer uh, every Girl Scout cookie season. And this was kind of a tough one. I actually, as I was working on this, I left this one till the end to think about the pairing, because the thing with the Thin Mint is it's got like such An herbal nature with that mint and that dark chocolate and that Christmas of that wafer. So for me, it really reads more um, on the herbal, almost savory side a little bit. And so I was like, what's going to balance this out? And what is that mint going to work with in terms of a wine so it doesn't get weird? You know, like I'm trying to avoid that sensation of brushing your teeth and then drinking orange juice and like having it be your worst nightmare. So I decided to go with something that was going to balance out the herbal nature of the mint, mingle well with the dark chocolate, and be able to stand up on its own to this particular cookie. So I picked a fortified wine, so either a sherry or a port. Something that's got a bit of richness, um that has some good viscosity, that has a level of sweetness that really is going to play well with those flavors. Fascinating. Um, I can't wait to find out when you get your Girl Scout cookies if you try this one out. I do have a new bottle of port that I picked up uh, from Turley in Paso Robles, so I'm going to have to give this one a go for sure. You know, I also have a bottle of port hanging around, which is pretty
0: unusual for me, so I may also have to try this pairing because Thin Mints are one of the few vegan Girl Scout cookies. Okay, let's move on to our next cookie. Um, This used to be my favorite cookie before veganism, and it's still the favorite of my heart. Um, It goes by two names because the Girl Scouts have two different bakers. Fun fact. Um, So you may know this cookie as a Samoa or a Caramel Delight. This is a crisp cookie with caramel, coconut, and chocolatey stripes. What do you recommend?
1: I mean, I'm still reeling from the revelation that it has two names. This is also one of my favorite Girl Scout cookies. Um, And with this one, there's... I love this cookie because there's so much going on. You have that yummy kind of dulce de leche style caramel. You have the coconut. You have chocolate. You have the little crispiness of the wafer. All the good stuff. Um... So I would actually pair this sticking with our caramel kind of uh, uh, Spanish slash Latin American theme. I would go with a Rioja. So his caramel is coconut. And the cookie really has a strong flavor all on its own. So I think a Rioja would really help bring all the elements of the cookie together, but also cut down on a little bit of that sweetness that can be overpowering if you don't have an extreme sweet tooth.
0: Okay, up next, we have one of the Girl Scouts' newer flavors of cookies. This cookie is the Toast Yay. Um, yummy toast-shaped cookie full of French toast flavor and dipped in delicious icing. Ugh. What are you recommending?
1: Uh, listen, with this, co- this cookie sounds so delightful um, and so decadent that, you know what? Fuck it. I'm having it for brunch with a bottle of sparkling rosé. I would do a drier sparkling rosé, uh, you know, a cava or a Prosecco variety, but definitely a sparkling, definitely a rosé. Like, there's no doubt in my mind what these toastiers are all about. They're just delightful little sugary bombs. So you know what? Let's just go for it. Let's just go all in on that. I love this. I can't wait. I'm going to find you some of these cookies. I will film myself eating them and drinking rose from a bottle just for you. <laughs> I am <Great>. that excited. <laughs> that excited. I'm
0: glad you said just for me and not all of the internet. Yeah,
1: no, no one need no one else needs
0: to see that. <laughs> Our next cookie also has two names. Um, it is the Dosy Dose or Peanut Butter Sandwich Cookies. So these are crunchy oatmeal sandwich cookies with a peanut butter filling.
1: I've also never heard of this cookie. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like You haven't heard of the Do No, I don't know what I'm doing. My life is a lie. All of this I'm not I'm not doing well with the Girl Scout cookies. You gotta
0: ask your distributor about this.
1: Oh, we used to have a Girl Scout around the corner, but now she's like too grown up or whatever. And so and she plays basketball. I don't know what she does, but like I can't get my cookie fixed unless I stalk some children outside of Target. Anywho's who's it's so the so dosey dose these also sound delightful because I do love an oatmeal cookie and I'm also into peanut butter so what I would pair with this one is a classic pinot noir this would give you basically an adult like pb and j situation you're gonna get that yummy um red jammy fruit from the pinot you've got that peanut butter and that nice crunchy oatmeal like that's a sandwich combo i want to eat pinot and peanut butter two perfect uh perfect parents don't you dare call them pp i will slap you (laughs) (laughs)
0: Next up, we have the Trefoil. This is a traditional shortbread cookie baked in the shape of the iconic Girl Scout Trefoil.
1: This is my dad's favorite cookie. Um, we always have them somehow in our house because my parents will bring them um, when they come visit. And, you know, this is such like a classic cookie, right? That shortbread. Um, and I... I would actually pair this. Are you you ready for this? Are you ready for this shock of the century? I'm sitting down. With a Chardonnay. Whoa. Yep. Hear me out, though. Chardonnays tend to have more tropical notes of fruit, like pineapple, guava, um, that I think would pair really nicely with this classic buttery cookie. But I would caution... You want to avoid a full-on butter bomb. So I would pick an, an oak shard that's going to have more of that fruit, um, more of those fruit notes, and a little bit more acidity to balance out your cookie.
0: Yeah, you want the butter coming from the cookie, not the chardonnay.
1: I mean, or if butter's is your thing, girl, get an oak chardonnay from, from Napa, get a stick of butter, rub that all over your damn cookie, and just go to town. Like... Live your best life.
0: All right, two more. Next up, we have another double-name cookie. This is the Tagalongs or the Peanut Butter Patties. And these are crispy cookies layered with peanut butter and covered with a chocolatey coating.
1: What are you pairing? Okay, this was actually one of the more obvious pairings to me, I think. Um, because this is one of the more savory-leaning Girl Scout cookies. with I have had these ones, and these have a much stronger, I think, peanut butter flair than the do si slash peanut butter sandwich cookies. And so I would actually pick a Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, I think that this cookie could stand up to a solid cab because it has enough bite to help mellow out some of those tannins that are... Um, a classic hallmark of an aged Cabernet.
0: And last but not least, this is the newest Girl Scout cookie to their lineup, um, new this year. This cookie is called the Adventure Foles. It is an indulgent brownie-inspired cookie topped with caramel-flavored creme with a hint of sea salt. What is your final pairing?
1: these cookies sound fucking delicious. Like, I really want these cookies. I read that description and I was like, I would pair this with a Zinfandel. Bring me all the decadent. Like, I just think Together, they would be amazing.
0: Well, if you try any of these pairings, let us know. You can reach out to us on social media at two girls and a grape pod. Um, And yeah, you know, this is a great time of year to support your uh, local female entrepreneur and uh, also get get your wine fix. I mean, who doesn't like cookies? And you know what else? Who doesn't like wine? Are we ready to open our bottle? Okay, Drea, before we get into it, I just have to say, this is maybe one of the most beautiful bottles we have had on this show. What are we drinking today?
1: Uh, you know, as soon as I poured this into the glass, I was like, this is already Anne's favorite. Like, this is going to be the, the her favorite wine we've ever done on the show. I'm really excited. Um, <laughs> so we have decided for 2022 to really mix things up and... Uh, start trying different stuff, new stuff, new varietals, hit up countries we haven't done previously. I was on a real Grenache roll, as everybody knows, for some time. So I have also been challenging myself to, to choose some different things. And we are starting off with a bang here. Uh, so what we have in our glass is the... For Celeste Pet Nat from Mother Rock in South Africa, and it's their 2021 release. So this wine retails for about $25, um, and the ABV on this one is only 10.5%. So this is a really nice, easy drinker um, to slide you back into some stuff, and it is organically produced. Uh, And of course it's a pet net, which we love here on the show. Um, and it is made from the signature grape of South Africa's wine industry, which we're going to talk all about on this episode. So the reason we picked this one is, you know, one, as I said, we wanted to kind of mix it up for the new year. Um, Anne loves her a pet net. And I love me a South African wine. So when I was in college, kind of one of the first, you know, adult bottles of wine I had was I used to get it at this Indian restaurant called Kanapena that I absolutely loved. And it was a bottle of South African um, Chenin Blanc that was delicious. And I still remember that wine. I've never been able to find it anywhere else, but... Um, it was fantastic, and so I have a I have a special soft spot for a South African wine. I'm excited. Tell me more about this unique grape. So, what's cool about this wine is it is a pinotage, and a pinotage is what a, a pinotage. So, a pinotage is a red wine grape. That is the signature red varietal of South Africa's wine industry. So what's interesting about um, the Pinotage is it's actually a hybrid grape. Um, it was first created in South Africa in 1924 by the first professor of viticulture, uh, the Stellenbosch University, whose name was uh, Abraham Isaac Perlog, and he... What he did was he took a Pinot Noir grape and a Cinalt grape, and he mixed them together to create this hybrid. So if you think about it, this makes a lot of sense in relation to Africa, South Africa's colonial history and the mass migration of Europeans after the Boer war War um, at the turn of the century. They were really looking to bring kind of that heritage over, but neither the grape that could really do well in the climate there. Um, So cultivation of the grape began in 1925, but the first wine from it was not made until 1941 at the Elsenburg Agricultural College and the first commercial plantings were made later that year in the Myrtle Grove area. So this is a wine that in some ways is uniquely South African but also comes from this long history of winemaking in Europe and of course the colonial footprint that Europe left on South Africa and the continent as a whole. So the grape typically produces um, deep red wines with a smoky, earthy flavor and notes of tropical fruit, which to me is like kind of a crazy combo that I am super excited to try. So I have never had this varietal before. Um, I am really excited to give it a go here. Uh, This is a Pet Nat and it is a Rosé. So we're not getting kind of the full red wine experience, but if all goes well, I mean, this will definitely be on my shopping list as we move forward. Uh, One of the things to note, though, and this will be, I think, an interesting talking point for us, is that this varietal has been criticized for having a rather strong and aggressive nose that some critics describe as acetone-like, which is a little terrifying, not gonna lie. So, we shall see once we get a whiff of this stuff. And um, the other thing I want to point out, too, is sort of the the complex history of this grape, which I think is really interesting. So not only is it sort of this cultivated hybrid um, that's really born out of kind of the, the colonial history of South Africa, but throughout its history, Pinotage has really seen its plantings rise and fall due to trends in the South African wine industry. So, for example, in the early 1990s, Around the end of apartheid, the world's wine market was finally opening to South Africa wine um, in a way that it really hadn't been before. And many winemakers made the decision, strategic decision, not to produce Pinotage because it was so unknown outside of South Africa. So instead, A lot of them really replanted their vineyards and focused more on internationally recognized varietals like Syrah, Cabernet, um, and of course your white wines like Chenin Blanc and Sauvignon Blanc. And then towards the end of the 20th century, um, the grape Pinotage um, really began to sort of be reclaimed by the winemaking industry in South Africa. And by 1997, it had started to command higher prices than any other South African grape. Um, So, you know, I find these trends really interesting. And a lot of historians and wine critics who look specifically at South African agricultural practices have suggested that part of some south african winemakers hesitancy over production of pinotage stems from the fact that it's a very distinctly quote-unquote new world wine right so when we think about varietals like um in some way like mission that we've talked about and have here on the podcast before kind of the these these wines and these grapes that aren't uh the baco noir that we did a while ago grapes that aren't rooted in europe and the european wine heritage right and even though this is a hybrid of those it is it was initially a blended grown and produced in south africa so the the trend for south african wine has been to reflect more european influences and flavors and despite being across from, you know, what we think of as a traditional Burgundy grape and a traditional Rhone grape, Pinotage really doesn't reflect the flavor profiles of the classic French wines that these grapes typically produce. And so a lot of winemakers were like, eh, you know, is this going to be sellable or are people going to want to consume it? Are they going to want to invest in it? So basically, you know, colonialism, Right but with grapes. It all comes
0: back to colonialism.
1: It really does, which is another reason why we drink. Um, but, you know, I think that the wine world has really had to change, uh, especially in the last 10 years, and more and more so as we're seeing the wine world become a lot more socially conscious, not just in terms of production and farming practices, but in terms of quality and social justice movements as well. Um, And so the latest trends show growth and an attempt to reclaim the wine heritage of South Africa. So for example, from 2007 to 2017, the quality, the demand and the supply of Pinotage grew significantly. So you saw it go from around 3 million liters of Pinotage a year at the turn of the century and then to domestic sales increasing to over 5 million liters a year and exports have climbed even higher um so today this particular grape contributes an estimated four hundred and ninety-five uh, million south african dollars to the local economy so you know, it's become a very large crop. Um, it's also grown beyond the borders of South Africa. So, in addition to growing there, we also see it now grown in Brazil, Canada, Israel, New Zealand. Uh, the United States and neighboring Zimbabwe. And here in the U S some of the more experimental winemakers are using this varietal, especially in places like Arizona, Michigan and Oregon. And of course in California as well. Um, You see it more in kind of your small urban wineries or, you know, wineries that are producing the wine, but aren't necessarily growing their own grapes. So there you go. The more you know. So what can you tell me more specifically about
0: um, maybe this bottle or where this wine comes from?
1: Sure. So this particular um, wine comes from a region in South Africa known as Swarthland. And Swarthland is a large wine-producing area that's about 65 kilometers or 40 miles north of Cape Town in the Western Cape area of South Africa. Um, Traditionally, it is a wheat-producing region. Uh, but it now really is known for its wines. So it's a lot of, you know, very fruit forward driven wines, particularly Shiraz and Chenin Blanc grape varietals. But of course, there's some Pinot T-tage in there as well. So I know that you like names and naming. So I thought that this was a fun tidbit. Uh, Swarthland is actually Dutch for Blackland and it was named for the native is that fun well listen (laughs) it was named for a bush a native bush there known as the rhinoceros bush that turns black after it rains so you thought it was going to be super racist didn't you
0: I mean, you did say the Dutch in South Africa, Fair. so yes.
1: Okay. And I have been talking a lot about Cologne. All right. I set myself up for failure on that one. <laughs> Never mind. Ignore that. All right. So the climate in this region tends to be very hot and very dry. Um, but the viticulturists there have really been able to use this to their advantage to help grow wine. So dry conditions significantly reduce the risk of fungal disease among the vines. So we've talked about like noble rot and other types of fungus that come in super wet climates. They do not have that problem here. Um, The lack of water also um, tends to make the soil yield smaller more concentrated fruit and in the United States and in Europe as well this is something we think of as like dry farming right where you don't fully irrigate your vines Um, Dry farming is not necessarily an attempt to, like, conserve water, though. I want to be really clear about this. In winemaking, what dry farming does is because you are really trying to coax the vines to soak up moisture where um, they can, those vines become very deeply rooted, So the vines will actually root down and grow their roots in search of water. And what that does is then the roots have to go through these different layers of the soil. So if you want a really terroir-driven wine, you want a vine with a long, deep rootstock. And so that's one of the huge flavor benefits to dry farming. You're also going to see dry farming a lot more coming out of your smaller production boutique wineries, because just like I said a minute ago, you get smaller and less fruit when you're dealing with that sort of dry climate style wine. The vines here tend to be pretty hardy as a result. Um, Drought-resistant bush vines that have been utilized in, are are then utilized in the hottest, driest part of the region. So that means they're not like terraced the way we think of a vineyard, but rather they grow kind of on a, in a more bush um, formation. And then since I told you all about how important dry farming is for the soil, let's actually talk about the soil um, that is known in Swarthland. You love a good soil conversation. I love a soil conversation, and I was so pleased to learn about this. So the soil type that you see primarily in Swarthland is the Malisbury shale, which is named for the town of Malisbury and sits in the middle of the region. Um, so it's a it's a shale that is very much um, typical of this particular area. But what's interesting about Swarthland is there's all these other like little pockets of granite um, of sand. So while these soils are like well drained or have good drainage properties, they also tend to hold enough water in their lower lower reaches, again, to support that irrigation-free dry farming method. And it is that technique that you find used pretty extensively across the region. So I just, I love me some soil. I love me some vines. And I think the production breakdown is really interesting um, so, Chenin Blanc is still the grape that is cultivated the most in this area, and that's at about 26%. And then you see, second on the list is um, Syrah. So, again, two very common varietals that come out of South African, and they do a beautiful job on these wines. I've had both Chenin Blanc and Syrah from South Africa, they're delicious. Pinotage only is about 5% of the production coming out of Swarthland, even though it is a heritage grape and um, very much still on the rise. So kind of keep that in mind um, when you're out looking that if if and when you do find one of these, like, it's a rare bird, so enjoy it. Yeah, I'm glad we were able
0: to find one.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it is pretty, and it is a pet gnat, so I feel like we're really winning right now.
0: So where does this this rare bird come from? Who is its mother? Are you my mother? Do you remember that book?
1: (laughs) Are you my mother? I love that book. I do remember that book. Sometimes when I've drank too much, I ask that question of my mom. Are you my mother? (laughs) She's like, yes, bitch. (laughs) Pretty much. You know her so well. Uh, So this wine is the label is called Mother Rock and it is a collaboration between winemaker Johan Meyer and a UK based wine importer Ben Henshaw. So Meyer has uh, really been a rising star of the new South African wine scene. And he has kind of made his claim to fame by developing really strong relationships with some of the best grape growers across the Cape over the years. So as a result, he's been able to gain access to some of the region's best fruit. And what he does is he makes wine that reflects the properties of that fruit um he paired up with with uh his partner henshaw when henshaw had noticed a gap in the uk market for kind of artisanal small production well-crafted south african Chenin blanc at an accessible price And so these partners decided to kind of join forces with an attempt to make that both for domestic and international consumption. Um, So I think that they've been really smart about kind of their, their business model and their intent, but also still very much committed to keeping with the integrity of the grapes and the terroir in this area. So their um Mother Rock label really focuses on discovering exceptional parcels of well-farmed organically grown vines um and making the winemaking process as simple as possible. So these are going to be terroir focused wines that are meant to be highly drinkable and readily enjoyable. Um so motherland like you see with a lot of natural and organic wines. These are wines you're typically going to drink, you know, within a year of purchase. You're not really going to lay these down. They're really meant to be enjoyed sooner rather than later. Um, they released their first wine, which was called the For- uh, Force Majura Chenin Blanc, in 2012. And that was really their, you know, first attempt at making that well-made boutique wine at an accessible price. And all their wines typically hover between, like, the 18 and $25 mark here in the U.S., and... I will say, like, this bottle that we're opening today is worth every penny of that. Um, They have seen, because of this model, quite a bit of global success over the years, and they now, you know, make well over 10 wines as part of their portfolio. So, in terms of their winemaking philosophy, um, again, these are natural wines with organic farming practices at the foundation of their winemaking process. Um, In the cellar, Meyer likes to keep things very simple, no additives, often not even any sulfur, and really relies on the combination of the quality of farming Um, And, you know, just sort of honest, back to basics winemaking. Um, He does make a number of pet gnats, which, you know, based on this one, I'm going to guess they're all pretty fantastic. Um, he's also really set up long-term contracts with some of the growers that he utilizes in the Southern Cape region that operate on these organic farming principles. So his goal has always been to showcase the best and purest expression of South Africa's diverse terroir. And I, you know, did some reading of reviews on Mother Rock and a lot of times, writers describe these wines as primal and raw, um, which, again, seems a little colonialist to me, but in also in, not colonialist in the best sense, but primal in the best sense. Um, the fact that there's something really exciting and visceral about these these wines and the style and the reclaiming of, you know, a very specific, a grape that's very specific to South Africa. And Meyer has been called kind of a leading member of what's known as like the South African avant-garde wine scene. So really trying to change the expectations of the industry there and trying to surprise, you know, a wine drinking audience that thinks they know everything there is to know about South, South African wine, when in fact, um, there's quite a bit more depth than originally thought. So yeah, so that is what's in our glass today.
0: I am really excited about it.
1: Should we uh, start the tasting process? Yeah. So why don't you... Because, um, again, as soon as I opened this ball, I was like, oh, Anne's really going to like this. Why don't you tell us about the color? So I would
0: describe this color as almost like a ruby red grapefruit. It's really beautiful. It's very pink, which I love a pink. Um it's got, at least in my glass, I've still got sort of like almost a ring of bubbles around the top. Mm-hmm. And I am drinking it in a normal tasting glass, not a flute. Um, oh, god! But it's just, I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. And when you look at it in the bottle, um, the label on it is this like dark turquoise um color. And it just, they pair so, it's really attractive. They pair so nicely together.
1: Yeah, it's a beautiful color. It reminds me almost of like, like passion fruit juice too, you know, or like Mm. um, really pale strawberries. Uh, It's just beautiful. And yeah, there's almost, it's not, I'm not, I'm not even going to call it bubbles. It's almost like a foam. Like you would get on a beer or yeah. a cider, and fair warning. So I know we've done Petnats. Um, we had that Los Polaris one several episodes back last summer, where it basically exploded all over my patio table. This one had quite a bit of carbonation when you pop that cap. So remember, a petnat is going to have a, a cap crown, not a cork and cage. Um, and it was a rather loud pop. I may or may not have screamed. I was not ready for it. But it, there was no overflowage, so that's
0: good. I'm holding my glass up to uh, the window where we've got just the like the last faint hints of sunset happening here. And I would say this is also the color of sunset. Ooh, I love that. I love that
1: description. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what are you getting on the nose? I don't
0: understand these assholes who are like, oh, it's acetone. It's fine, guys. I'm not not getting any
1: of that. (laughs) I'm really not. I think, so I do think that when you have a, a wine or even a liquor that has like, a smoke a, a smokiness or a bit of a, a peatiness it can read that way and when I was doing this research because again I've never had this varietal before when I was doing this re- this research I was like is this like how some people think cilantro tastes like soap I am very unclear about what this means um so I know smokiness and peatiness can sometimes transfer to that but I think of that more in relationship to like smoke taint when it comes to wine, mm-hmm. and this does not have that. Um, so are I'm you not getting, getting
0: peatiness up. or smokiness on the nose because I wouldn't even say that I'm getting that.
1: No, I am. I am getting. Um, frankly, I'm getting a lot of citrus. So, mm-hmm. but like like a Meyer lemon, key lime, kind of the sweeter citrus i'm getting some definitely some herbaceousness so fresh herbs thyme basil stuff like that even rosemary yeah maybe a little bit this would make a really good spritz um and i am getting a little bit of that tropical fruit in like a banana way huh it's at the very end of like a whiff. So get a little bit of that. But it's, you know, it's to me, it also the aroma is very clean. It's, it's not overpowering. Now, of course, again, this is a Pet Nat Rosé, right? So we don't have the full force of like an age red here. I would love to, to try one of those as a point of comparison. Well, should we give it a give it a taste? Yeah, let's go for it. I feel like this is going to be your jam all day long. I love the carbonation. <laughs> I was like, Anne is going to go immediately order a case of this and put it under her bed and pull it out every time there's a blizzard.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't know that it's like very blizzard appropriate, but it is a great wine. I'm getting, again, a lot of that citrus. I'm getting a lot of grapefruit. Um, it is It is a pretty perfect summer wine for Anne.
1: Honestly, it's a pretty perfect anytime wine for Anne. Um, I'm also getting some really nice melon undertones Mm. like um, honeydew, a little bit of watermelon, again, some pineapple. I think that tropical kind of fruit wave um, is alive and well. Definitely citrus. Um, The herbaceousness kind of goes away for me a little bit on, on the palate. Uh, definitely more fruit forward a little bit of like early strawberry really light fruits so i would say light red to green like kind of in those melon that tropical vein and it also to me this reads much more like a cider than a pet not really what what's the difference to you so one i think the texture of the carbonation um you know like i said you usually a pet gnat has very sparse bubbles and and this does as well you you're not going to get those like full bubble lines but there's definitely quite a few more dispersed bubbles coming up in the glass than you would typically see in a pet nat. um and then two of course is this foam that's um around the top of the glass which is very cider beer reminiscent to me um but also i think just the um like i think on the finish there's that little note of sourness too that i associate with like a sour obviously or a cider like a fruit forward cider um and it's not like it's not a bad thing uh, but it's definitely different from what you would think of as a, you know, more traditional stateside pet nap. Yeah. I'm trying
0: to think about I when I was shopping for this, I saw the bottle of Beachy that we tried early on in the in the podcast and mm. comparing these two is kind of interesting to think about because they're both different and unique and experimental and Like, like you said, like this one is, has a very different
1: mouthfeel, very different um, bubble experience. Yeah, this one feels much lighter in the mouth, I think. Um, where The Mm -hmm. peachy one has a little bit more of that residual. So like with a pet nat, you get a lot more of that residual sugar usually because you only are going through that single fermentation process in the bottle, right? So you've got the sediment, you have all that hanging out in there. Um, but with this, you don't have that. In fact, you almost have the opposite. Um, and I don't know. maybe when I get down towards the end of the bottle and there's more of that that sediment there, it'll read different, um, which is often the case with the pet nap.
0: I have I have the bottle in front of me. You can definitely see like the line of sediment. It's a it's a clear glass bottle, so you get a really good you can really see the color. Um, And you can definitely see where the sediment uh, has settled.
1: Yeah, so I wonder if, like, my next glass is going to have more of that residual sugar and less of that sour finish. Mm, Yeah, that'll be
0: interesting to see.
1: Well, guess we're drinking the whole bottle today. Look at that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not going to stay bubbly
1: forever. (laughs)
0: So I already mentioned summer, and I sort of feel like that is the situation that I'm envisioning. Like, I would love to drink this glass of wine reading a light and fruity romance novel on, like, some big wraparound
1: porch. A Russian romance novel? No, because I said summer. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, Russians I mean... Russians are for winter. I... D- God. How do the Russians feel about that? Um, they know what's up. Like, this is a bottle I would love to take on my next trip to Palm Springs. Oh yeah. As I'm just, like, lounging around, pretending like I'm a mid-century modern lady of leisure, just doing that lifestyle. Um, it's it's a really easy drinker. It's a low ABV, so you're not gonna, you know, torture yourself um but yeah definitely a good and also you know even spring right like this is a bottle you could definitely pull out on like that first warm day like the first day you realize that your soul will in fact thaw out at some point take it on a picnic there you go take it on I feel like we we go on a lot of imaginary picnics not a lot of real ones <laughs> No, so, like, okay, next time we are physically together, come hell or high water, we are going on a motherfucking picnic. And we are taking a shit ton of wine. If it's warm, I'm not going on a picnic if you come to New York before
0: it's actual spring. Like, you're over here talking about the first day when your heart warms up, and girl, that is still too cold.
1: I don't even want to tell you what the weather is here right now. So
0: what would you serve at this, uh spring
1: summer palm beach soiree palm spring soiree <laughs> palm beach is in florida and they're crazy um what would i serve so i i think you can go one of two ways with this wine i would either do a savory brunch And if we're talking picnic, if we're talking outdoor summer, I love a good like brunch charcuterie spread. So I like to make like little mini croissants. I like to get a nice baguette. I like some yummy breakfast friendly cheeses, some, you know, charcuterie, uh, some jam, some chocolate, some fruit. I think that this would be a really beautiful accompaniment to something like that. Something eat. Something that is elegant but effortless, All right? It looks like you tried real hard, but it was just real easy. Um, the other thing I would pair this with, if you're thinking more like evening time, is a salad. I love a yep. super simple salad. The best salad I have ever had in my life was at a seafood restaurant in Barcelona, And it was literally, like, greens, some shaved raw onion, lemon, olive oil, salt and pepper. And it was legit the most perfect side salad I had ever had. It was just beautiful. Like, that and maybe some crusty grilled bread in this wine. Like, what more do you need? Nothing. Nothing's a summer quite like that. So the salad
0: that came to mind for me was a uh, grilled Caesar salad. And I had it at Charlie Was a Sinner in Philadelphia twice. And it was heavenly. I mean, super like you said, fairly simple but elevated. The the technique was really well done. All of the ingredients were super delicious. It was just a really great salad. Um, so I think that that to me like when you said salad, I was like, "Yes, this is exactly where my head is at." I was also thinking, I think still in my like wrap around porch fantasy, I want this with a sandwich. I want to have like a really good Um, sandwich with this. And for me, what comes to mind is I'll make a uh, mock tuna chickpea sandwich. Um, Mm, mm -hmm. So you take chickpeas and you basically mash them up to the way that you would, I guess, have a tuna sandwich. Um, And you mix it with um, celery and mayonnaise and all the things that go into a good tuna sandwich. And it is just... It says summer to me, uh, and I feel like those two things, plus maybe some potato chips, would pair really nicely with the fantasy that I'm having right now.
1: And we could take it on a picnic. I always want potato chips. Perfect. I would also say, like, I am with you on the sandwich thing. I've been on a sandwich kick lately. And you know what else this would be really good with, though? It would still serve cold, still a cold sandwich, but like a smoked paprika Grilled eggplant. I know that's highly specific, but right now, for some reason, that's where my fantasy lies. (laughs) That sounds great.
0: The paprika really makes it.
1: Right? With avocado and greens. Ugh. Now I'm hungry. And I have pancakes for breakfast. Okay. This would go with pancakes, too. Just (laughs) FYI. It would. What book... Are you reading? Hmm. Let's see. I feel like you beat me to this because I was going to be an asshole and be like, what Russian book are you reading? So I have an answer for that. I would read Chekhov with this for sure. Of course you
0: would. (laughs) Well, so Chekhov's short stories, they're still very Russian, but they're fun. They're flowery. They're really, I mean... The Russian prose is so lush, at least like the period that I'm reading in, which is just before the revolution. So lush, so rich. And I think it would be really, that would be a really fun, fun pairing if we had to pair with the Russians. But they're not quite, um, they don't give me that Ice Planet vibe, if you know what I'm
1: saying. (laughs) Well, few things do. I mean... Is that really what you're gonna read on your wraparound porch with your sandwich? Probably. Don't judge me. <laughs> um, you know I feel like this bottle would lend itself well to a nonfiction book. Maybe something about the natural world. You, you know I like my weird animal books, um, but I also am now expanding that. Hobby, shall we say, to books about plants because as Ann knows, I love plants.
0: I do know that.
1: And I just got a new book for my Kindle on plants, so maybe I'll start that today while I finish this bottle. That sounds like an excellent uh, afternoon for you.
0: Right. Way better I mean, than
1: food prepping. No, I have chores. It's sad. <laughs> Maybe tonight, once darkness falls, we'll see. <laughs> okay, so as you are sitting on your wraparound porch in summer, eating your sandwich, what are you listening to? There's a band that I
0: like a lot called The Weepies, and their singer also has some solo album work. Her name is Deb Talon. They're very fun. They're very beautiful they're very guitar forward like acoustic guitar um and I feel like that would pair really nicely with with what I've got imagined
1: I can see that I can see that what about you oh I was gonna take it a totally different way I was gonna be like give me give me that Rosalia playlist that's what I'm here (laughs) for I just feel like this is really gonna vibe with that excellent and who is staying at this fabulous Airbnb that you've booked yourself besides me obviously who's hanging out
0: Um, anyone who can sit quietly and read their own book <laughs> Um, let's see who would I want to hang out with like in between reading books who do I want to make sandwiches with in the kitchen
1: <laughs> I want to make sandwiches with
0: I mean these aren't celebrities except in my life but like the people who are coming to mind are like uh, one of my coworkers who lives in New Jersey and goes to the Jersey Shore every summer with her family. Part of what I also imagined was like showing up on their doorstep with this bottle of wine and being like, Why don't you come hang out with me for a while? Um, and my cousin Amy, who has al- already been mentioned on the podcast, but loves a rose. And both of them I feel like could hang out with a book and eat sandwiches. But in terms of celebrities, For whatever reason, maybe it's because I watched Little Women recently. I'm thinking Florence Pugh could be pretty fun in this situation. She just seems like she could be pretty fun. I think I know who yours is, but
1: I'm letting you say it. You think (laughs) mine is, but you're like... let's see. Who would be my celebrity to eat sandwiches with and drink this wine and listen to rosalia if you don't say it i'm gonna blow your mind okay well so i want to hang out with someone who's fun and um we are in the midst of nfl playoff season and the super bowl is upon us so i'm gonna hang out with my fellow golden bear Marshawn lynch Nice. Nice choice. You're welcome. He's hilarious, by the way. I have met
0: him. So when I show up to your picnic, I'm bringing you a special guest. Oh, no. No. And that special guest is going to be
1: Trevor Noah. (laughs) (laughs) Sticking with the theme. I love it. I do love it. Okay, you know what? What if we rented this house with this porch... We're playing a mix of the Weepies and Rosalia, had a shit ton of sandwiches, a case of this wine, and we have Trevor Noah and Jon Stewart. Where's Florence and Marshawn? They're probably making out, to be quite honest with you. I
0: feel like Florence is in a long-term relationship with Zach Braff, but I have a lot of, like, I have a weird interest in celebrity relationships. I'm learning this about myself.
1: Wow, I am also learning this about you. This is, I feel like this is new. Who are you, my mom? I don't know. Maybe Rose and I can get together and talk about it. Like, I just want Uh, her to be happy. Who, my mom or Florence? Both. Okay, great.
0: (laughs) I just, and it's very much in a like... It is very much like I'm turning into somebody's mom of like, I just want you to be happy. I just think you're a good kid and I want you to be happy. You are my age. I get that.
1: Why don't you tell people where they can buy this wine? Okay, great. Um, Yeah, so if you want to check out this amazing South African pet gnat from... um, mother rock we got ours from our friends at astor wines in new york city they are rad they ship but quite frankly you can probably find this at your local natty wine shop that specializes in an international flair um and you know one of the cardinal rules that we've talked about on this podcast a lot is if you don't see something you want ask Chances are they work with a rep who can get you what you want. And you just may have a great conversation with your local wine shop um, friend, and that's something you can foster and grow and learn from. So check that out. Um, On our next episode, we will be taking yet another international trip, um, this time to Greece. So look forward to that. And if you have recommendations, if you try this Pet Nat, if you try a new Girl Scout cookie pairing, if you're able to get a damn yay anywhere in Southern California, hit us up on our Instagram. We're at two girls in a great pod. That's T-W-O, girls in a great pod. And we look forward to hearing from you. And
0: until next time,
1: salute. Salute.